history happened everywhere. A random country, a random time, and a topic pulled from the hat. Then a week for one of us to go and research those things and come back and tell us all about what they've found. Welcome to... History happened everywhere. Welcome to History Happened Everywhere. I'm Ryan Weir, and with me in the studio, as usual, is the lovely Peter Goddard. To the sir and welcome. <laughs> been, uh, I've been inspired this week by my topics, hence my uh, greeting. Oh. I should say no more. Um, I can't remember what your topic was, uh, so why don't we have a listen back and find out what it was that you got thrown up by the doors later. Yeah. Okay, so... Get the doors later going. All right. Okay, so here we go. And your country is... Austria. Austria. Oh, that's good. I've heard of Austria. I don't even know where it is. Okay, uh, does later. Here we go for your time period. And the time period is... <laughs> 1400 to 1500. Ooh, I think that so. feels pretty doable. And the final piece of the puzzle is the topic. And the topic is... Art and culture. Oh, that's good. I feel this... I feel this will be easy. I've been wrong before, but this feels like a quite achievable. It's Vienna, not a culture, Austria. Right. And so there we go. Art and culture in Austria from 1400 to 1500 AD. So, Pete, how have you been? more challenging than I was expecting to be honest I thought this would be a walk in the park but it was a scramble through the mud in the park yeah like you'd think middle of Europe Austria in that period 1400-1500 loads of stuff's happening all sorts of art and culture being devised yeah yeah I found it tricky but let's see I think I found some good stuff for but let's find out so Pete it's New Year's Eve. Is it? Uh, well, not for us. No, not, not at the time of recording. But at time of listening, <laughs> it's New Year's Eve. Because right. this episode goes out on New Year's Eve. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awkward interlude out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, we should uh, talk about Austria. We should. We in should. the 15th century. Yeah, it's very much the point of this entire enterprise today. Yeah. I think I know where Austria is. Go on, you tell me then. Uh, it's in Europe. Good start. No, that's it. That's oh, right. <laughs> right, okay. So, yeah, then a good start and uh, a middling finish, I would have to say. <laughs> well, no, I covered Austria a bit in the Hungary episode. And, uh, yeah, so I've got some sort of understanding of where Austria is. But yeah, not at 1400. Maybe it moved. It did not move. It's not like one of those uh, more floaty countries you've heard of. <laughs> like Ghana. Atlantis. Yeah. Ghana, yes, indeed. Uh, no, it's a Republic of Austria. It's in very much in Central Europe. A republic. It is a republic. Uh, it's kind of a long, thin little thing. Well, relatively thin. Landlocked, sandwiched between Germany in the north and Italy in the south. Okay. So kind of really just smack in the middle of things. On It's got some Alps, some uh, nice. mountain action going on, showing a border with Switzerland on the western side. 
Yep. Uh, and it's also kind of the bridge to Eastern Europe. So it's got uh, Hungary, Slovenia, Slovenia and Slovakia on the eastern side. Wow, it's quite a few people so around it. Bit of a sort of central crossroads of a place, actually, which does kind of affect what we're going to talk about. Normally, you'd expect big powerhouse uh, countries to be by the ocean or by water of some sort. I think it, it's its advantage in this instance was it's almost a crossroads of a place. So a lot of stuff is coming through, so it gets to benefit from all those things and accumulate all these differences. That's my theory. Oh, that was a good theory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the flag, you might be familiar with their flag. This is uh, apparently one of the oldest national symbols. Uh, okay. Or it's considered to be. It's a red band with a white band in the middle and then another red band at the bottom. Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, now, according to legend, I'm going to digress here, even though it's not my time period. That flag was apparently invented by Duke Leopold V of Austria mm-hmm. during the Siege of Acre. So this is in the um, Crusades. Okay. Uh, and basically, after a big battle, he's, his surcoat, his white surcoat, was drenched in blood. Obviously. Uh, and he whips his belt off to have a shower, presumably. Uh, and he noticed that his surcoat had red and then a white band where the belt had been. Yeah. And a red band under that. And that inspired the red-white-red combination that became the Austrian flag. Okay. And when was the Crusades? Uh, that was the 1100s. I okay, so we're about 300 years after that. Yes. I don't know. I like whether or not I would be happy having a country that the flag is literally blood of the infidel, <laughs> <laughs> bathed in the blood. Yeah, they probably don't advertise that so much nowadays. Probably not. Um, Landscape-wise, we've got we're talking alpine. You've got rolling green hills, mountains, lovely lakes, mm-hmm. uh, little wooden chalets, that kind of thing. I, I see. That's very similar to sort of Switzerland, as I well, imagine in my head. So, and this is kind of the. One of what part of what made this quite challenging was it's quite Germanic. They speak German. Mm. It's quite Swissy, where they also speak German. Uh, it's got the Alpine element, which is quite Swissy, but also Austrian, and it's North Italian as well. So when you're in Northern Italy, you'll find everything has that kind of Gothic script and just looks Germanic. Mm. So it has it's it, it bleeds into the countries around it quite heavily. Yeah, yeah. Now size wise, I would imagine you're wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Re France. Yeah. How many Frances in a in an Austria? Uh you get you get seven Austrias to a France. Oh, that's much smaller than I thought. Yeah, it's quite small. I thought I was it surprised. was I thought that was like equal in size. Yeah, so you were talking powerhouse nation. It's actually quite uh, small. A bit seven of a Austrias in France. Seven Austrias. Okay. Um nine million people. But today? Yeah, or today. in right, okay. Nine million. Yeah. That's hardly anything. Right? Well, I mean, they've got Vienna and there's Salzburg and some towns, but uh, it's, it's just not a big country is the long and the short of it. Um, but for a not, a not a big country, boy, does it punch above its weight. Yeah. Uh, let's talk famous Austrians. Okay. Anyone leap into mind? Well, Adolf Hitler, right? Yeah, yeah. I was going to keep him for last, but yes, he is the, uh, the He's one. my go-to answer for any question about Austrians. Uh, yes. Also, here's an interesting one. Marie Antoinette was Austrian. Not French. Not French. She's Austrian. Huh. Okay, what was she doing in France? Um, I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect she married her way there. <laughs> okay, uh, that sounds like uh, a, a question for... Um, Voice of the fact, Internet. Fact check, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Determined to make that stick. Ms. Internet. <laughs> With some respect, sir. Fine. Hello, this is the Voice of the Internet. Marie Antoinette was born the Archduchess of Austria but moved to France at the age of 14 when she married Louis Auguste, the heir apparent to the French throne. Four years later, her husband ascended the throne as Louis XVI and she became queen. Thank you. Um, Mozart. Yeah, famous for his balls. Oh, yeah, okay. 
So I wonder why you just shouted Mozart at me that moment. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember we were talking well, about famous, famous Austrians. Austrians. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Mozart and his famous balls are. Um, his Wait, Austrian. what? His famous balls. Uh, if you ever go to Austria, they have chocolates, chocolate balls, which are have Mozart portrait on. Okay. They're, they're quite well known as Mozart balls. Okay. Right. Um, but they I'm are. Glad you qualified that. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Because uh, I was thinking Hitler again. <laughs> <laughs> you get more chocolate with the Mozart. <laughs> Put it that way. <laughs> um, musically, wow, what a bunch of people came from there. Strauss, Haydn, and Mozart. Gustav Klimt, the artist, came from there. Freud yeah. was Austrian. Not music at all, though, eh? No. Well, he may have been. I don't know. Maybe he was a mean blues player. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Austrian, of course. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, I was told that, that Arnold Schwarzenegger's accent in Austria is considered to be like super rural and like a big old farmer. Like oh, you're really? From, yeah. Like it's laughed at as being like the dumb accent. Is that like the Bristol accent for Darth Vader that Dave Prowse had? Yeah, I think so. Like, you know, I think most countries have an accent that everybody looks at and sort of rolls their eyes. Bumpkinish, right? A bit bumpkinish, yeah. And I think that, that Arnold Schwarzenegger's accent is is that one. Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> <laughs> you had to really struggle for that one, didn't you? I've, I've, I've been on record as saying Boy, I'm terrible with accents. <laughs> we'll be back, my Boy, love. <laughs> and and noted, notably, uh, you realise this place is quite alpine when you, Wikipedia, uh, in their famous Austrians, has an entire section headed Mountaineers. <laughs> oh, wow, really? Okay. Well, um, that makes sense. Got, yeah. You know, got the Alps and stuff in there. I hadn't heard of any of them, but uh, I okay. guess... In the world of mountaineering, these guys were the big deals. I struggled a bit about uh, famous Austrian things. Um, Wiener Schnitzel. Was he a mountaineer? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He is a veal cutlet with breadcrumbs. Oh, okay. So that's where we are. Now when we are. Um, so 1409, so we're doing 1400 to 1500. Yeah. In 1409, the council at Pisa elects a new pope, Alexander V. Uh, that's not particularly interesting, I grant you. Although they did forget to ask the other two to resign, uh, giving them three popes, which they never had before. Um, Viking-wise, the Vikings, as we recall, were kind of Christianizing at this point and kind of disappearing. The Viking settlement in Greenland ends. They just sail off and go to Norway. Um, it's not a tremendous long time ago, is it? No, no. There's, like to, to today. Well, it's also when you think the other things that are happening. So the other thing, particularly, you've got Henry V in the UK. He succeeds his father and uh, have the, bat- the Battle of Agincourt. So knights and battles and cry God for Harry. Knights and things like that. Right. Um, that's all happening at the same time. And in 1480, the Moravi Confederacy is formed by Bantu tribes. So this is a kind of a kingdom forming over in Africa. So it's not all European action. Cool. And then just one other thing to help you orient in, this time where Leonardo da Vinci was alive. So if you think about those, all his inventions and the paintings and how people look, then that's the period we're talking about. He was in that film Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He did that terrific drawing of uh, the new Kate Winslet, yeah. Um, yes, so that is the when. That's hopefully giving you some sense of what's going on in the world. Uh, and uh, here we are in Austria. Eins, zwei, drei, vier. So 
So we're talking Austria now, um, just to give a little bit of context. I don't know whether to do too much history. We had the Romans there in the 400s or thereabouts uh, and before. Um, after the Romans, there's various tribes battling around, so a lot of fluctuations. Uh, eventually, there's a thing called the Frankish Empire, um, which is, again, a sort of various interconnected kingdoms under one larger kingdom. That includes Bavaria and the area we're looking at. Then in the 10th century, you start to get some sort of faintly identifiable Austria happening. It's an area that is ruled and given to the Babenbergs. Right. Babenbergs, that sounds like you're ordering a cake with a speech impediment. Um, but this was known in German as the Eastern Realm or the Osterreich Austria. So you're starting to see Austria happen uh, in about the 10, 1000s or thereabouts. Then there's okay. lots of fuss and bother between various people who will argue that they own the place. It gets split into uh, areas under Louis, Louis the German, which is okay, but it could have been worse. West Francia was uh, under Charles the Bald. Everyone kind of has cool nicknames at the moment. There was Arnulf the Bad, Henry the Quarrelsome and Leopold the Illustrious. I if they had a say in what their surnames would be or whether or not it was sort of chosen on their behalf i would imagine arnulf the bad also known as arnulf the evil <laughs> probably didn't have too much to say about that <laughs> i think i think it's almost the case that the if you try and embrace a nickname it will never stick you <laughs> well, certainly you not to. if you're the bald Ryan the Bald. <laughs> <Ball. laughs> i wish to be known as ryan the bald which does you can imagine leopold the illustrious kind of going keep quiet just keep quiet <laughs> so uh this becomes the beginning of the holy roman empire which isn't really an empire and isn't really roman and isn't that holy uh it's a kind of fluid set of kingdoms that i'm not going to go into here because it's lots of back and forth between boring dukes and stuff um but we're ruled by the babenbergs and eventually of the last of the babenbergs frederick ii who is the quarrelsome he dies how do you think he dies uh, arguing yep in a fight in a battle with the hungarians <laughs> oh, that's right okay cool <laughs> uh, so i guess sometimes your nickname picks you <laughs> i mean you named it for a reason right yeah well quite so um so then it falls into the hands of the habsburgs which you may have heard of yeah well we spoke about them in the hungary episode Absolutely. Uh, which was right back at the beginning uh, early days of history happened everywhere right back then yes. i think when it was called history happens everywhere <laughs> <laughs> it's caused confusion ever since yeah <laughs> But yes, the, the Habsburgs uh, take control. So this then, these guys actually stay in place for an extremely long time, yeah. right up until World War One. They they really did hang in there, didn't they? They had some tremendous staying power. Yeah, it's a lot of power. So you'd imagine at some point they would there would have been some errant son that would have ruined it, some son that inherited the Habsburg Empire and was like, "I'm just gonna drink and do nothing." That does seem to be the pattern in a lot of places, isn't it? Right. But how they hung on for so long is, I'm sure we'll find out in another session. Mm. But. Uh, yeah, so, and to, to talk to our specific period, basically, I, I'm not going to talk about politics or anything like that, but more or less, this century we're looking at was a lot of fuss and dispute about who owned what. For a while, the, the Austria was split up into lower, inner, and further Austrian territories. I mean, you've got a lot of countries bordering you, right? That's a lot to have to continually keep your eye on who's crossing the border, or whose border is it, like trade disputes and all that sort of stuff. It's... And this is part of why I struggled, actually, with, with finding things out, because there's just so much back and forth between places. And a lot of the history is just, frankly, really boring territorial disputes. Yeah. Uh, and you've got the Hungarians who are invading and bothering them, and uh, the French have a row with them later on. Uh, and there's just so much traffic that mm. it's, it doesn't really settle down as a place for quite a long time. So, yeah, it's a nation in turmoil. It's, it's a crossroads of a place that's got connections with the Mediterranean, and that's why a lot of what we're going to talk about today isn't super identifiable as specifically Austrian. It's because Austria 
really absorbed all these influences from all around Central Europe and the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. So you get a really, I would say generic, but almost classic medieval feel about the whole thing. Um, and then we're going to have a look at some specific things about art and culture. Right. So the main thing I wanted to talk about is is probably looking at the culture through music and sound. So the noises and the, the musics and the instruments of the period. Okay. So I want to take a trip to Vienna with you, uh, Ryan. In fact, specifically, I would like you to trip to Vienna as a wandering minstrel. A wandering minstrel. Right. Okay. Because this is medieval times, right? There's towers and castles and cathedrals and all the mm, classic witches and warlocks and probably goblins we don't know <laughs> <laughs> may have strayed off the path there i don't know <laughs> so this was middle earth you're talking about right <laughs> okay so it's uh you arrive at the gate you're a minstrel and you arrive at the gate okay what kind and of it, instrument do i play well we'll come to that oh yeah yeah um you've arrived at the gate because it's a walled city mm. i'm going to take you on a slight digression here about the walls themselves so you remember we talked about the Crusades? Yeah, briefly, in yeah. In 1191, there was a battle in a town called Acre in northern Israel. Uh, there was a Crusader victory, and at that victory was King Richard the Lionheart of Britain yeah. and Leopold of Austria. Together, hanging out? Together, hanging out and okay. winning. Right. Uh, but then after they won, they had a bust-up, real big bust-up. Oh, right. Uh, and uh, Richard the Lionheart ordered the banner of Leopold to be chucked over or taken off the ramparts of the conquered city. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, so Leopold gets well cheesed off, uh, and he leaves in a big strop. So then Richard doesn't care about this until it it comes time to go home. Uh, Due to various reasons, which I won't go into, about closed ports and such, his route takes him through Austria. Okay, where he's just disrespected Leopold. He very much upset Leopold, and now he's making his way through Austria (laughs) relatively tentatively, I would imagine. Okay. Uh, now, by uh, legend, the locals uh, are aroused with their suspicions when an unfamiliar coin is used in a tavern, uh, which promptly stimulates Leopold into action, and he captures and imprisons Richard the Lionheart. What? Right. So he then hands him over to the Holy Roman Emperor, a guy called Henry the Sixth, uh, and he ransoms Richard the Lionheart off for a massive ransom. To who? Back to the back to his home country. Oh, okay. So he says, I've got your king. Do you want him back? Give me a okay. absolute barrel load of money. Oh, that sounds cool. Right? Good idea. So this is so bad that England had to introduce a special tax to pay it. Oh, that was a lot of money, was it? Now, have a little think. Put together special taxes. Richard the Lionheart has to be ransomed off. Yeah. This is Robin Hood time, isn't it? It is, yeah. Sheriff Nottingham going around going, give me your money. For this tax to pay the ransom to bring Richard the Lionheart home because, and I'd always thought it was because the the infidel had got him but it wasn't it was the austrians oh okay so he's being held in where was it in the holy roman empire so he was okay there. right so they took him south well they, they covered all of germany it was a big area the holy roman empire covered a lot okay. of central europe right okay because in robin hood sheriff of nottingham didn't like richard Lionheart. yeah i mean there's there's versions isn't there but i mean these are the, the historic he, facts he's probably which, skimming off the top I'm sure he, he adding an extra percentage, doing his bit, right? Sheriff tax, but yeah. So the the or certainly a version of this is that the tax that was upsetting everyone and that Robin Hood was uh, finding very unfair was actually the very tax used to buy their king back. So do you think that they had the money to pay the ransom, but they thought, well, we'll just get the people to pay it, or do you think 
we don't have enough and we need extra, so we're going to go to the people and ask them. I think the cynic in me is saying they probably could have paid by asking all the the nobles. Um, well, probably did ask the nobles as well, didn't they? But uh, I don't know. Let's say they're all nice people and they just needed the money to get the lovely king back. <laughs> okay. Personally, I'd have left him, but there you go. <laughs> That's just me. Right. Um, I can run the place. It's fine. Yeah. I was. I know I was injuring him, but I'm ready to take on the proper role. Mm. Uh, but anyway, the reason this is relevant is because the money that was used to pay the fine or the ransom was used to build the walls of Vienna. Oh, no way. Okay. So cool. now you've arrived at these walls. These walls are, have been paid, bought and paid for yep. by the ransom of Richard the Lionheart. Relatively new as well. 300 years old. Yeah, relatively like new. Same walls are in place. And so, and they'll stay until Napoleon shows up sometime later. Okay. So you're early. You're waiting for the gates to open. Because obviously there's no point in having gates if yep. you're not going to leave them open all night. Knock, knock, knock. Oh, you let the invaders in again. So uh, you're, you're going to um, be heralded by a trumpet. The trumpet will announce the call to to open the gate. Okay. Well, they do that every time somebody turns up at the gate? Well, I'll tell you a little more about trumpets after we've had it. You piped into the city. I don't want you waiting outside the city, right? Okay. I imagine I'm going to dance my way into the city, by the way, as a minstrel. Understood. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So here is a trumpet. Ah, that's kind of cool. So I'd, I'd be watching. Oh. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Cool. I just want to come in, mate. <laughs> Welcome, Ryan. Oh, it's still going again. <laughs> when do I move? Welcome. Welcome. Well, <laughs> he's having a laugh. He's got a trumpet and he's going to use it. <laughs> I just imagined me creeping across the drawbridge. He's like, nope, back, get back. more time didn't they, they in the past no, it's the long drawbridge you've got to get across it's still going <laughs> well, he's finished with a flamboyant low note there that was a low note wasn't it <laughs> well that, I mean now everyone in the city knows that I'm here well that's precisely the point so there was uh, a number of things that the trumpeters would potentially <laughs> do and these are tower trumpeters uh, one is to declare the opening of the gate and the closing of the gate uh, but they might also trumpet in particularly notable people okay. so everyone is supposed to know you're in there I mean, I'm not very notable, right? I'm just a minstrel. Yeah, you were standing, you were walking behind a duke who was walking in. So oh, okay, that you makes were more sense. Taking advantage of their fanfare, I think. Okay, cool. Um, so, welcome to Vienna. Just a, a little more about trumpeters. They're quite a respectable kind of musician, unlike you, you traveling minstrel, you dirty, dirty wanderer. <laughs> um, and these guys could have acquired full citizenship. Obviously, the history of trumpeters is quite connected to the military because trumpets were primarily useful for their ability to be heard on a battlefield. So sure. used for directing people around the place. So is that the note such that over the clanging of the metal and people shouting and stuff, it can still be heard? Other instruments maybe would get drowned out if it's a specific type of note or tone. Well, I think they? that trumpets are particularly useful because you can, I mean, they have that sort of piercing quality and you can play lots of different tunes. But I guess other um, other instruments have been used. They had actually in the medieval era they distinguished between hort and bass, hort and bass instruments. Right. Hort being 
basically high but actually loud meaning loud so things that would be outdoor use and bass or bass being quieter indoor things huh. that you'd have a more you wouldn't be able to hear in a crowded market say right okay um, yeah so uh, that was a, a clear distinction they had at that time yeah i guess so plus also it's quite lightweight i imagine if you're carrying onto a battlefield you don't yeah, want to be taking yeah. a double bass with you, are you? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's the amplifier that really uh, weighs you down. <laughs> so um, in 1440 in Vienna, the paid trumpeters have a whole page in the accounts just for trumpet bills. I, d- I don't understand that. Say that again. So the town has trumpeters. These are city employees. So in 1440, there's a whole page dedicated to the accounts for trumpeters. Oh, okay. So there were many of them? I don't know how many of them are. They're just expensive i guess oh, i see <laughs> okay so it could have expensive. just been one person with lots of expenses could have been one guy with a load of receipts i'm not sure exactly okay but you can still hear if you want to hear a trumpet call today you can still can not in uh, austria but in krakow krakow is it krakow yeah Krak- in krakow in poland uh, in their main square since the 1400s they have had a, an hourly trumpet call and they still do today Right, so you're in, you're going to want to go to church, obviously, because you're a God-fearing minstrel. It's the first thing I would want to do, yes. Yeah. You want to just thank God for the... Let me in. And getting over your journeys, which, if you came over the Alps, was probably no mean feat. Um, so I'd, I'd have pretty mean feet as well. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to direct those feet to St. Stephen's Cathedral. This is the okay. main cathedral because you are a minstrel with huge ego and you think they're only the best church for you. Um, and as you approach, I'm sure you'll be hearing the bells. Christmassy. <gasps> crunch, crunch, Santa's crunch. on his way. Through the snow you go, <laughs> dirty minstrel. And they jazz it up a bit. These are some nice sounding bells, right? Sounds like an old grandfather clock. And so I should probably specify these aren't actually St. Stephen's bells these are some bells but uh, they are medieval sounding so it would be something oh, like okay. this so and then you cut the bells okay and the bells are playing while you arrive in the church but you've come to the church this is one of the most significant landmarks in Vienna it was actually founded in 1137 but as with sort of big civic buildings of that time people tend to add bits to it and uh, so the main bit of it was rebuilt uh, and the south tower which is the very tall spire that it has which is probably the most distinctive part of it. The uh, cathedrals tend to be the tallest of the buildings, right? Ah, yes, absolutely. So well, you'd probably be seeing it from miles away. Very much so, because the South Tower was completed in 1433, smack in our period. Okay. Uh, it's a big fancy spire, very much part of the modern Vienna skyline, but back then was very much dominated the Vienna skyline. And in fact, at the time it was finished, was considered the highest in Europe. Um, but yeah, so th- the other thing that's, this, so th- this is culture again. So remember, we're talking about art and culture. Mm. Um, St. Stephen's C- Cathedral is, and specifically the spire and the tower, is representation of a very significant architectural style in this period, which is the Gothic. Oh, okay. Um, so the Gothic, uh, I would describe the, the, the spire of St. Stephen's as like an angry wedding cake. You know, lots of flourishes and uh, yeah. it's very tall, obviously. It was... Uh, it's 136 or just over 136 meters high and you, you look at the tower and uh, it's it's a classic piece of gothic architecture apparently so how do you recognize gothic architecture do you know any idea about that at the moment um only from batman so i like gotham so you know arches and curly bits on it 
yeah, absolutely. Dark colours. Arches and curly bits. Um, less so the darkness, but there's it's a, a kind of grandness. It was size. It was a, The medieval buildings had very thick walls because they needed to be thick to be tall because mm-hmm. they were self-supporting. So you're starting to get architectural developments that mean you can make bigger buildings with narrower walls. So the things you'll start to notice are towers and spires, uh, bigger windows, more space, vaulted ceilings. Okay. So do you know what a vaulted ceiling is? pretend i don't okay so if you had if you imagine a roof a ceiling at its most basic is kind of four pillars and a flat surface and that flat surface is the ceiling yeah uh if you then turn that flat into kind of an arch between the pillars uh-huh then you've got the start of a vaulted ceiling okay so, uh so imagine a row of pillars with arches between them and then uh, the roof curved over the top roof of that. curved over the top of that that is a nice vaulted ceiling you've got nice. giving more space and again that sense of grandiosity i mean when you think that this is what 1400 and they're able to achieve that level of build it's quite extraordinary it really is without cranes and without any sort of modern health and safety <laughs> yeah, very few uh, high vis and hard hats uh, in evidence <laughs> i would imagine uh, so other other really recognizable features of gothic architecture are your arches uh, a classic arch you might call it was is like a semicircle yeah. in the archy bit yeah, these are pointed arches. So okay, if you think yeah. of those windows where you've got the nice spiky point at the top of your arch, that's a very gothic feature. But the other really distinguishing feature of gothic architecture is the flying buttress. Ah, I was going to say the flying buttress. Right. So I, I've, in fact, I'm going to challenge you to describe a flying buttress because I've really struggled with doing this with words rather than pictures. Okay, so they tend to be they are attached to the lower the ceiling of the lower floor. And they attach to the higher parts of the outside of the building to support the roof and distribute the weight load of it. Exactly correct. So the... God, you did beautifully, man. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so you've got the weight of the roof. You've got thinner walls. So now this wall is going to start buckling outwards. And to prevent that buckle, you put the bit of a beam that then leans onto a column, essentially. And that distributes the weight, the outward weight, and pushes it into a downward force in the pillar outside. Yeah. And that is another absolutely classic piece of gothic architecture. Here, mate, I've finished building your cathedral. Are you sure those walls are quite stable? No, those walls are not stable. Wow, it's Captain Buttress. That's right. You need buttresses on those walls. Come on down to Buttress, Buttress, Buttress. We've got walking, running, leaping, flying buttresses. They're flying off the shelves. Whatever your project, we've got the buttress for you. Large cathedral, we've got buttresses. Small cathedral, we've got buttresses. Medium-sized cathedral, we've got buttresses. Wow, thanks, Captain Buttress. And that's not all. Buy one buttress, get one buttress free. Terms and conditions apply. Of limited to one free buttress per cathedral. Full details at www.buttress-buttress-buttress.com forward slash buttress. So anyway, back to uh, our soundscape. Yes. Uh, you're going to enter the, the church and uh, maybe there's a bit of singing. Some, some monks perhaps chanting their uh, celebration of the Lord. Okay. You're pointing at me. So I'll play. I'll play the, the. I'll play the tune. Ryan on the decks.
classic monk, right? Someone's got some clogs on. <laughs> There's always some workman in the background. <laughs> Um, but you might find that was a, a particularly religious uh, instance, I suppose. Um, there's also a slightly poppier, poppier sound available from the time, so the choir might uh, do something that sounded a bit like this. It's kicked it up a notch, isn't it? Right? This is the disco beat. You can just hear all the old monks tutting in the background. You can hardly hear the words. <laughs> well, it's not real music. <laughs> Just noise. <laughs> so this is the music of the educated, the cultural elites. They would be singing these kinds of songs. But the other thing that's really notable about the culture of this time is all of the art, everything, the religion is soaked into everything. So even the pop song like this, very religious sounding, as you can Super tell. Super religious, yeah. Religious as in uh, Catholic, right? Uh, yeah, well, there's three popes, right? <laughs> yeah, but what does that mean, though, there's three popes? Well, there was, there was for a long time, two centres of uh, the, the Roman religion, I believe. Um, and I want to say Constantinople and Rome, I may be wrong. Uh, yeah, we talked about that in the, briefly in the Portugal episode. Yeah, I think the there third was an one, East and a West yeah, Rome. Uh, yes, exactly. I, I think the, the third one was an anomaly of the time. <laughs> Let's okay. disregard him. I think having two popes was... Uh, not uncommon. Okay. Um, but yeah, we're talking about Catholicism. Okay. Uh, so uh, you have a pray, you're a minstrel, you're like, thanks for getting me here safely, God yep. and friends. Uh, probably <laughs> just God, actually, thinking about and it. friends. <laughs> also God, as it turns out. That's what yeah. the Trinity is all about. God and friends, <laughs> all God. God and friends is like the kid-friendly cartoon version. God and, I'd watch God that. and friends. <laughs> I'd tune into God and friends. Sacrilegious. So now you're going to head out and maybe go into the market and uh, maybe get yourself an apple. I don't know what you eat. What you like to eat as a minstrel rhyme? Uh, fish. Fish. Okay, well, let's see if there's a fish. Of Tasty dry fish. Super landlocked Austria, but okay, we'll see if we can find you a fish in the market. So you're wandering around, uh, and the places where musicians could perform, could perform were um, officially regulated, but quite diverse. So they might be playing in the street or the market square. They could play in houses. They might play in churches or in your local castle. So you might find people playing music uh, out and about on your journey through the market. Yep. And... Probably what you're going to hear is these, I've referred to before, these hot, high, loud instruments. Uh, so one of these is a, a, a very classic sound of the medieval era instrument is the shawm, S-H-A-W-M, which is kind of a pre-oboe. It's a long tube with a flared end, uh, and it sounds a little bit like this. 
Man, that's so medieval, isn't it, sounding? Right? That's a, There's no modern noise that's like this. The only thing I could think of was that sort of snake charmer pipes. Yeah, like modern noise. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if you don't buy modern snake charming music, that's not my fault. <laughs> so that's a storm. Um, you might also hear a slide trumpet, which sounds quite a lot like the trumpet that, that uh, we heard earlier. I'm not going to play it, but this is uh, a period where your long, thin, flared trumpet mm-hmm. is starting to also evolve into a curvy, bent-over trumpet, so the beginnings okay. of the trumpet that we know today. Yeah. So a slide trumpet is a kind of looped version of that. It sounds a lot like the earlier trumpet, so I'm not going to replay that. Um, but also there's the pommer. This is another really medievally sounding thing. It's more clarinetty, another woodwind kind of instrument, which sounds like this. Depressing, isn't it? It's a bit blue, gloomy. Which is ironic because I've got notes that say it was moderately jaunty. <laughs> uh, it also says kazoo sounding. <laughs> it does sound like a kazoo. It's, it looks very similar to the previous one. Yeah, it is very similar. They look, they've got a big bulbous end. <laughs> and it's like a recorder, isn't it? Yeah. Or like an oboe or something. But, but it's a vibrating reed, I think, that you're playing through. So these guys, um, obviously, you could do a solo. It could be just one endless shawm solo. But actually, very commonly, the slide trumpet, the shawm and the palmer would come together uh, and be found playing as a as a band, as it were, mm-hmm. known as the Alta Capella. In public? So in the marketplace, they'd be playing this? Or is this much not more exactly sort of indoors? Sure. And... I think I'm, I'm going to say a mix. I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. I wouldn't bet my life on it. But uh, certainly, typically, these three would play together, and it would make a sound uh, a bit more uh, band-like, such as uh, the Bobic Blazon, which we will hear now. Oh, Bobic Blazon. Bobic Blazon. That's my favourite. Yeah, it's a cracker, isn't it? Yeah. Coming in at number three of the hit parade, it's the... Uh, the Bobic Blazon. Yeah, it's not easy listening, I would It's say. really not. It's kind of hurting it's, my ears a yeah, little bit. So we go, okay, band, I will oh, give you five... man, they need more rehearsal. Phoenix to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Um, because I imagine in a marketplace you might probably have some sort of um, little band or something that's playing for money. Like, why yeah, wouldn't it could you? be, right? And these are and these are the out, the hoot, the loud, the outdoor instruments, which I think is partly why it's quite difficult to listen to in an indoor setting, it's much like the bagpipes. You, hmm. It's intended to be a little further away and a little more uh, to cut through. And if there's nothing to cut through, then it becomes quite harsh to listen to, I find. Yeah. Um, That's the best explanation of a bagpipe I've heard, by the way, as to why they're, they've got that reputation of being annoying. Well, um, also astonishingly, it's uh, something we're going to talk about because let me talk to you, Ryan, about the doodle sack. Oh, not again, mate. I've st- I, you showed it to me last week and I told you you need to go see a doctor. It's not that, and I deny everything. Uh, the doodle sack is another word for a bagpipe. So it turns out that okay. bagpipes, you think of them as a Scottish instrument. There are Irish bagpipes as well. Actually, throughout Europe, you can find the uh, the bagpipe known as the doodle sack. Which is a much better name, by the way. Right? I would. If someone said, do you want to hear the doodle sack? My doodle I sack. do want to hear the doodle sack. <laughs> uh, in fact, why don't we hear the doodle sack? The 
this is the sad bit in a uh, sword and sandals film. Absolutely, right? Where the, the wife has just been killed in she, front of your hero. I was going to say the wife was killed. I yeah. think we've watched the same movies. <laughs> um, there's a, a fresco in a church in Slovenia, which is an angel playing a bagpipe. Although I would argue the definition of angel is someone who has a bagpipe but doesn't play it. So it's not as loud as the Scottish one. It sounds it's a lot more like the Irish bagpipe, I think, this. Oh, it's just so sad. It's quite mournful, isn't it? Isn't it? I think it's that sort of hum, the underlying hum. Oh, oh dear. My heart is just so Let's Let's bring this down broken. then, because, oh my lord, I'm, I'm getting sad now. So, <laughs> so let, let's, you're a minstrel, you've prayed, you've wandered through the market, you've purchased some fish. Thrown um, a coin at a band. You, you've thrown a coin at a band, you're going to go to the pub, I think, it's time. Okay. Um, uh, there might be a minstrel playing there if if you're unlucky. Someone like Sting, presumably. Uh, <laughs> and hopefully there's nobody there. You can make a bit of coin playing your instrument. You asked earlier what your oh, instrument yeah. is. And your instrument, I have decided, is the what I think is the medievalist of all the instruments, yep. the lute. Oh, the lute. Yes, I can see that. So let's hear, let's hear you on the lute, right? Doing a little dance on a lute. Okay. I fancy, I fancy you. You've fancy got some me. skills. All right, here I go. kind of Mediterranean-y. There's a few chords. Lure us in. Oh, I love this one. Take it to the bridge. It's romantic, isn't it? It's, You'd it's catch gentle, the lady's eye it? on this one. It's You would. Well, especially you, you saucy minstrel. Thanks, man. So perhaps you want to take a break and let someone else play for a bit. Um, because there are some other exotic sounds that you need to let some of the other minstrels have a go, Ryan. Don't okay. hog the stage. <laughs> it's open it's open stage night at the yeah. Vienna Arms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so here are some instruments that we... There were, there were some things that people would be familiar with today, which I didn't really want to bring along because you already know them. Familiar with them. But you might not know the zinc. Now, the zinc, also know known zinc. as the cornetto, for, for real. real. <laughs> so for those who don't know, a cornetto is a uh, ice cream here in the UK, probably across Europe as well, with like a waffle cone with uh, ice cream and a flake chocolate stick. No, the zinc, it's a bit of a hybrid instrument. It's a wind instrument, usually made of wood, covered in parchment with finger holes, a bit like a recorder. But its mouthpiece is like a trumpet, uh, which gives it a kind of a weird trumpety, clarinetty mix sound. Woo. Uh, so let's have a quick listen, uh, just a little snippet okay. of the zinc. See what I mean? It's kind of... I love it. Clarinetty, but also trumpety. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? This is my favourite so far. It's gentle, isn't it? It's nice, smooth sound. Bring back the zinc, that's what I say. Well, where have they gone? Where are all these instruments? It fell out of favour, I guess, because there were better instruments available. This Probably the clarinet maybe replaced it. Yeah, this has kind of got a fluty kind of feel to it. It's, it's nice, It's got it? a bass to it, like a deeper tone that's... And um, obviously this isn't a visual medium, but they look kind of awesome as well. They've got this sort of curve to them. Yeah. Yeah, they look like uh, organic. They look like a horn off a cow or something that's been... Absolutely. Side note, they did also okay. play horns from cows. Okay. Put some finger holes in them and uh, used them as instruments as well. But I didn't uh, bring any sounds of that. Makes uh, sense. I did, though, think maybe you're really rich and you've got uh, 
fancy instrument you're indoors because this is a very quiet instrument um yeah you, you might want to have a go on the clavicetherium the clavicetherium yeah i did have to read that several times okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the clavicetherium is like a folded harpsichord it's a keyboard like you would imagine a keyboard um but as you would see in a piano normally the strings go out horizontally yeah just 90 degree bend vertical strings right in front of you it's uh it's, it looks like it kind of fits on your lap i'm not exactly sure but uh, it plays like a keyboard and it's uh so it you carry like, this thing around it this wouldn't be like a fixed piano or something. I, th- I think so i'm not exactly sure how big it is because i didn't have a banana for scale but uh, yeah okay it's uh <laughs> it's um yeah it looks portable ish well okay so on this website you've just sent me there is a picture of somebody playing it oh cool like a painting from 1463 <laughs> <laughs> and they are literally playing it and it looks yeah body La- width lapish, right? body width and about height wise yeah maybe like half a human body but yeah you're right instead of right i didn't understand what you meant about vertical and horizontal lines it literally you play it upright it's an upright piano rather than it lying out in front of you yes um now while we listen to this do you know the difference between a piano and a harpsichord? Okay, I think I do, actually. So, okay, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> uh, one is, uh, so the piano has a hammer, which when you press the key, it hits the string. And when you are a harpsichord, it plucks the string. Correct. Come Absolutely on! Absolutely correct. I'm so. the winner again! You're on fire, my friend. I'm doing well today, aren't I? So here's you on your clavitherium showing off your silky skills. So this is a plucker. This is a plucker. Not a hammerer. It's very much like a harpsichord sounding. It's not got that same resonant tone as a harpsichord, though. No, it's a little thinner, isn't it? Yeah. Which makes sense, because it's a lot smaller. It is a lot smaller, yeah. It's like a kid's kind of piano. Imagine little kids playing that. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, uh, the final instrument, uh, well, not quite the final in- instrument, the final instrument in the in the bar, because you're going to move on after this, yep. is, is quite a complex one. I wanted to bring it because uh, it's it's really different to all the other instruments. It's really complicated. Now, I, I've called it the duck-billed platypus of the instrument world. <laughs> okay. Because it seems to be made up of loads of other instruments made into this weird instrument of its own. Cool, man. I love this. I love that there were people inventing all of these things, that they had the time to sit there and be like, you know, I think I'm going to come up with a zinc. I've got a plan, right? Yeah. So this thing, it kind of looks like a violin. Your basic shape is a violin in that there's a kind of wooden box with strings over it. Yeah. And uh, now on one side, you've got a crank. So by a crank, I mean, <laughs> you know, when you start an old, one of those oldie worldy cars and you uh, turn the yeah. kind of rotating lever. Yes. That's the crank. So there's a crank on one end of this box and then there's strings laid out. Okay. And then along the strings of what would be the neck of, a, if it were a violin, there's a little wooden key. So there's kind of a keyboard and a crank. Oh my gosh. Uh, and it's, so the neck is really thick. It's got like, I don't know, imagine three times, three or four times the thickness of a violin neck. Yeah. Uh, so you've got a key, so you've got a crank on the mm-hmm. right hand. Well, let's call it, I'm right-handed. So I would sit this violin looking thing on my lap and there'd be a crank in my right hand that I would rotate. Yeah. And then I would, with my left hand, play the keyboard that is along the neck of the violin. Okay. Does that make sense? And with your mouth, you pull the strings? Well, yeah, it's a little bit like that because <laughs> it, this is one of those challenging rub your stomach and pat your head kind of affairs. Because you're, yeah. you're doing a rotating movement with one hand whilst playing keyboards with the other hand. 
Um, and the way it works is, it's I've never come across an instrument that has a wheel before. It's a, the crank turns a wheel. Okay. So instead of on a violin, you would draw a bow across the the strings. Yeah. Yeah. But the, this is there's a wheel underneath the strings, and the keys push the the strings down onto the wheel. Oh, I see. So the wheel kind of acts as your bow, this <clears throat> continuously revolving bow, essentially. Yeah. And your keyboard is you're pushing the strings down onto the bow. Uh, and the reason this is useful instead of just, why don't you just have a violin, is because there are other strings just slightly further down the body of the instrument which use a continuous kind of humming noise, which gives you this background buzzing kind of noise. And Man, then this is so engineered. It's super engineered. And then there's this one other string sort of <laughs> on the other side of the machine yeah. Which you can use to you can move the crank in such a way as to kind of tap this string to give you a kind of rhythm section onto it as well. So that all sounds really bizarre. So I'm just going to let you play it. It takes about thirty seconds in before they start using this extra rhythm string. So it sounds a bit like a an underlying buzz with a normal violin on it. But okay. listen for the for all the right. string that then start the rhythm that starts to come in. Okay. Also, hurdy gurdy, what a name. Is this what it's called? This is the Hurdy Gurdy. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't called that in in Austria, though, right? Did it have a name then? Dreiler. 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 All right, cool. So you can hear that consistent, constant noise underneath. You wouldn't think this was one instrument. No, it's got. It's a really. That's there's so much going on with it, isn't there? Hmm. At this point, they might as well throw in a couple of cymbals and maybe a triangle <laughs> yeah. dangling off it. Just and keep going. Drum, bass drum on your back. <laughs> <laughs> This feels almost Asian to me. Yes, I think it... Like Russian. I think or... it came from Arabia, actually. I'm right. Not, I need to check that. There you go. So now you've got the, oh, the extra string kicking something in. bad to my head. It's your soul talking. Oh, no. <laughs> So all this is one person just with one crank going around in one hand and the keyboard's going in the other. Slightly mosquito-ish, isn't it? <laughs> it that, that, I, I was happy with it up until that weird mosquito noise. <laughs> so that is the hurdy-gurdy. Which... There are people definitely out there still playing that today. Oh, it's, it's a very common instrument. Well, not very common. It's, I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, in parts of America. I actually thought it was an American instrument. Oh, okay. Uh, it's... Uh, it's widely it's found widely put it that way okay there, there are modern hurdy-gurdies it's yeah. still played um obviously not as common as the guitar but uh, I wonder if it there is are, not like, a dead instrument it's not like it's quite different to the shawm i don't think i've ever come across a shawm or a um, zinc or a zinc before and i think those are gone the hurdy-gurdy is very much alive Oh, no, I mean, they're, they're not gone. None of these are gone. There, there'll be people out there that have recreated these and have got little orchestras going. No, but the, the hurdy-gurdy is alive and modern. There are okay. hurdy-gurdy players who are not just recreated. I don't think there are Shawn players cool. out there in the way that the hurdy-gurdy is really... Oh, this is terrible because now I've got I've got a whole YouTube rabbit warren yep, that I'm going to go down and hole. You enjoy that. But hurdy-gurdy, uh, <laughs> hours lost <laughs> listening to people in South America playing... The hurdy gurdy and so on. Anyway, it's yeah, quite a quite a haunting noise, I think. So that I love was, it. It's great. That was just a selection of uh, the, the instruments that I found that you don't really see today that I thought would be interesting to learn about a little bit today. I'm disappointed that's ended. I was really enjoying that. That was great. Well, it hasn't because you, sir, are now done with your job for the day. You're going to want to dance, aren't you? I know how you are. 
Well, I'm a minstrel. That's you what I clubbing. do. You want to go clubbing, Music my friend. Music is my life. So you want to have a bit of dance. So you are going to go to the hot party in town where you're going to cut some rug to the one-handed flute and drum. Wait, the one-handed flute and drum? One-handed flute and drum. This is an instrument. Well, it's two <laughs> instruments. It's a drum and a flute, as the name suggests. Yeah. Uh, but one person plays it. Uh, okay. And this is a much more upbeat dancing number. So when you get to the club, the DJ will be on the flute and drum and they'll sound a little something like this. Okay. This is much more gentle dancing than I was expecting. Wow. You led me to believe. It's just warming up. This is one person. Fair maiden, wilt thou danceth with me? No. <laughs> okay, so not quite the hard rave you're expecting, but no, a, little not bit, all. a little bit jauntier than the more haunting sound I think uh, we've had largely up till now. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoyed your visit. So, as with the fading sounds of the one-handed flute and drum, not a euphemism, yeah. uh, you're exhausted from dancing. It's the one-handed flute. <laughs> you head back to your room uh, and wonder what tomorrow will bring. So all of these samples are real. The tunes are actually from the 1400s as well. So yep. that was, uh, as you can tell, not uh, modern music played on old instruments. That's uh, authentic uh, in inverted commas uh, music with authentic instruments so I found all these things they're real 1400s tunes uh, from the, or thereabouts anyway from a project called Musical Life of the Late Middle Ages with a website which is musical-life.net nice yeah they were really helpful they let us use all their tunes so thanks guys musical-life.net that's the one check Brilliant. it out if you're interested in this there's loads more tunes and music if, you, if you're interested in this period uh, there's loads of stuff there so check it out Brilliant. that's awesome thanks guys so, Ryan, I know you've had a lovely time in the city. Um, uh, Austria's been great so far. I, I wonder, though, this has all been the urban metropolis, busy Vienna. I wonder if you want to kind of get out and uh, check out the countryside a little bit. Sure. Okay, so... Jump on a hay wagon. Jump on a hay wagon, sir, and get yourself into the Alps. Obviously, what we've heard is uh, generic, I would say generic, classic, medieval. You could really be in a lot... It could have been in France, really, yeah. for a lot of that, I feel. But here's a sound that uh, really is much more specific to the area. You've gone into the Alps. Uh, you're going to stop off in a little village and you might hear a sound like this. It's a yodel. A yodeling man calling to his cattle across the pasture. So that's nice. uh, that's yodeling. Yodeling is much more specific to this region, so I thought it would be worth a little journey uh, into that. A little bit Swiss as well, obviously, because it's alpine particularly. Used by most experts agree, it was used in the central Alps, particularly by herders calling their, to their, uh, what do you call a cattle? Herd? A herd, that's the thing. <laughs> a flock of cows. <laughs> a murder of cows. Um, or to call between villages, maybe. Um it's kind of it's very much specific to this region in a way that that other music we were listening to is a bit more general. Okay. The earliest record we have of a yodel is fifteen forty five, where it's described as the call of a cowherd from Appenzell. Okay, so this isn't quite our period then. 
Um, well, no, it, it's t- until today. So this is an ongoing tradition. Yodeling then goes, it actually originated in lots of different places, but yodeling is a particular association with the Alps. Um, then weirdly, it becomes a thing that cowboys do in the 20s in America. Yeah. Well, how does that fit in with polka? Why do I think of those two things as being quite similar? Uh, because they're quite Bavarian. They're, they're, they're quite specific to this region. Uh, polka and mercifully the accordion has not yet been invented but you'd often get an accordion in the background of your yodeling okay and that kind of they're all from this reasonably similar area okay so that's why you're putting those together i think and yodeling is frequently uh, modern in modern days particularly to a modern is kind of a comic sound i think uh-huh. people don't go i've bought myself a yodeling record um <laughs> it's it's a sort of fun but not particularly i don't think people take it seriously yodeling as an art form i don't think it's and it's very out out of fashion in in american country music yodeling was very much a part of it for quite a long time and it was not hilarious at that time it was just the the sound of the place but i did come across this which i think is a slightly different take on yodeling which is uh which is a bit more melodic and musical i think something a little bit unexpected if you were to call it yodeling it's also sort of nonsense words as well isn't it He's not actually saying anything. No, it's just sounds, to his flock. It's not it's like, come over here, that... come over here. He's just. Lord, 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 I think it's it's more like using your voice as a bugle, right? So a, a, a bugle would be giving different commands based on the pitch of the of the sound rather than the the syllables itself. See, now I've got all interested in yodeling. I'm going to have to look this up. So, do you think that they had the same tune and the same yodel? Like you could write it down, and it would be the same each time. I think the different yodels had different meanings and uh, okay. there were calls that had different effects, much like you would have a bugle call that said retreat and one that said charge. You'd have a yodel that said bring the cows home and one that said uh, we're out of milk. <laughs> <laughs> I assume they were jaw-based, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, I, I just wanted to listen to this one, which is still yodeling, but uh, something that you don't think of, I think, so much when you think yodeling. The close harmony yodeling form. You can't see my face, but I'm frowning and moving my <laughs> eyebrows around. <laughs> Quizzical is the word I would use yeah. to that expression, right? Sort of a choral yodel there. I thought that was interesting uh, to come across. Are we done? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. That was the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there was more. Oh, right, no, right. no, there's no more rabbits in hats or anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then it falls on me to say that was amazing. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That I, was so much fun. I, I struggled a bit at the beginning, but the last couple of days it was coming together. I was quite excited. We should end on a yodel. That's the classic one, isn't it? Right? Yeah. I wonder why that one's the classic one. That's, Easy, that's, it's it? bound to be Intr- some it's beginner yodel yodeling 101 <laughs> yeah now this was great i really really enjoyed this one okay well then here we go it's that time <gasps> of the episode okay you love this bit because it's not you for a week yes yeah okay the does later is awake all right all right so here we go let's uh activate it and the country for me next week is <laughs> Liechtenstein. Wow. Well, let's have a look at so the. There's, uh, there there's Liechtenstein. <laughs> history happened everywhere, Ryan. We know this. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So let's go with the years then. Uh, okay. Here we go. And the years are 
Uh, right, well, we're continuing the medieval stage. It's 1100 to 1200. Ooh, uh, yes. We're traveling back in time slowly. We are, the past gradually. three episodes has been 1500s right back to the 1200s. Okay, so uh, it is Liechtenstein between the years of 1100 to 1200. Well, is the topic, Ryan? <laughs> the topic is... <laughs> is going to be... Oh, no. Space. <laughs> Something crazy. <laughs> and the topic is... Business. Ooh. That's the first time we've had business. That is. Uh, okay. I figure business is going to be trading of corn and, you know, animals. People need things. Trade will occur. It will. In Liechtenstein, of all places. Oh, wow. Famously businessy. I'm thinking already. Good, because you have a week to keep thinking and come back and entertain <laughs> me for a solid hour. Yeah. Okay. Well, this, this will be our first one of 2021. It will. It will. Mm. So I think this is probably a good time to firstly wish all of our listeners an absolutely tremendous new year. Hope you'll have an amazing time celebrating the new year and your next year is absolutely fabulous. Likely to be better than the last one, let's be honest. <laughs> um, thank you for listening. If you do want to send us any feedback, if you thought anything was wrong, if you thought it was right, if it excited you, if it angered you, do let us know. We're on hhepodcast at gmail.com. That's uh, right. Or you can go to Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and just do HHE podcast. We're out there. And don't forget the verdict, which will be following this podcast shortly, uh, where our resident reviewer, Paul Dursley, will join us to give us his overview and grading on how well he thinks that we've achieved. He doesn't like us. Not very much. He doesn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said that was sincere. Okay, let's end this thing. Pete, thank you very much for joining us. You, that Ryan. was an amazing episode. Really enjoyed it. I enjoy being here, sir. And thanks to everyone you've been listening to. History happened everywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, gather round and prepare to hear the sound of the future. Ooh, okay. We all enjoy the rich, harmonious sound of the hurdy-gurdy. Oh, I love the hurdy-gurdy. Well, I have much improved and present to you today... The Hurdy Gurdy 2. Ooh, alright. First, we crank the crank like the Hurdy Gurdy. Okay. We lower the strings. Yeah. Now lubricate the slide arm. Ooh, okay. Start the bellows. Engage the drivetrain. Ooh. And lower the armature. And now, the Hurdy Gurdy 2. <laughs> Oh, you don't understand. This is the sound of the future. Your kids are going to love it, I promise. Or well, my name isn't Wolfgang von Stratocaster. 